right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It's uh, now Wednesday, October 28th. This is, of course, the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And I'm joined, uh, as usual, by my colleagues Matt Neulander and Sam Bassini. And before we get into things, let me take a second to say thank you to all the folks who listen to this podcast and say nice things. I was on the road um, a lot last week, bouncing around. So I listened to um, a bunch of different podcasts in airports and Ubers and wherever. And I kept noticing, like, the host taking time to like say, hey, thanks for the pe- feedback on the last week's podcast and thanks for this and thanks for that. And I was like, you know what? I never like actually say thank you to people who listen. And then I was at Hoosier Hysteria on, I guess it was Saturday night. And a gentleman like, you know, came up and said, hey, I really uh, enjoy the podcast, Norlander, Bassini and blah, 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 blah. And so uh, that's always nice. And I, I don't mean that if I ever sound like we take that for granted, I don't. So thank you to all of you uh, who take the time to listen, mostly to me talk and sometimes Norlander and Bassini. <laughs> now, well, let's so get... sweet of you, Parrish. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> now let's get, uh, let's get into it. So the season's fast approaching. We're right in the middle of our uh, preseason coverage, launching our conference previews and stuff. And uh, like I mentioned, I was on the road much of last week. First, uh, to go see the Mets and the Cubs at uh, Wrigley for games three and four. Let's that was move a, on. That was a lot of fun. Let's move on. That was a lot of fun. Uh, More fun than game one of the World Series. I mean, it sounds like I'm, I haven't slept much. It's because of game one of the World Series. And I actually tweeted last night as they were going to the 14th. I was like, my poor kid, who I take to school every morning when I'm in town. Um, I was like, my poor kid is going to be so tardy in the morning. And guess who was tardy this morning? He really was. Like, I just, <laughs> I like, I, I don't know what happened. I think I've. I either forgot to set the alarm on my phone or I turned it off in, in uh, a stupor. So, uh, yes, he was, he was tardy. But um, So I went to Wrigley for that, and then I flew to Indianapolis and then uh, drove to Bloomington uh, to spend some time at Indiana. And I did, I did want to say this before we get into the other things. So Howard Moore was there, right? He, uh, the former Illinois-Chicago coach who yeah. is now going to be doing work for the Big Ten Network. So he's... Uh, bouncing around to all the Big Ten schools, and he. Uh, had okay, to... I thought he meant Howard Moore was like chilling with you in the bleachers at. The oh no 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 no! I wish I wish, <laughs> but no. But he was chilling with me at a, at Indiana practice on Friday, uh, last Friday, and um, so we got to talking about where he's been and who's he's seen, and you know what he told me? He he said he had just been to Maryland recently, and you know what he said? Robert Carter is going to be Maryland's best player. <laughs> Robert Carter, the, the the Georgia Tech transfer, now at Maryland, who you guys left off our list of one hundred one top college players. I found a way to make up for it by putting him on my ten NBA draft prospects who are off the radar now, but might be on it after. Hold up, I found up. a way to make up for this, and I Parrish is not getting out of this by saying who you guys didn't put on. It's not like you couldn't have said, "Let's push for Robert Carter in the seventies." GP, I was. Playing I know you bailed around player number eighty-two, so you could live out that wiffle ball dream that you do every fall. It's not a dream, but you're not absolved from this. Okay, so we don't have Robert Carter on our top hundred and one. That's fine. If we made if we're made to look fools, so be it. Uh, Maryland stack. They're very nasty. And I've, I fully admit that Carter is the one guy, but I'm not like we put out the list. We got kind of killed for the Carter, Carter and, uh, Jared Uthoff at, at Iowa were the two. And, uh, oh, he, uh, Howard also said that Jared looked great when he saw stop him. it. No, I'm, right. I know. I'm, I know. I'm not even well, joking. Ev- everyone looks great. <laughs> in, in, in fact, uh, in fact, this is of, why this is, of, no. of the, of the two, the two guys that I remember him saying, wow. Like that about Robert Carter and Jared. Absolutely. Yeah, but Sam's on to something because, you know, hope springs eternal sure. every October. Like, I got you. You can't possibly figure how certain teams won't be good, certain guys won't be good, and then reality hits and it hits hard. I got you. I just wanted to bring that up. I know. Hey, so you, you're not going um, to believe this, but uh, Louisville is still dominating the conversation in college basketball for a couple different reasons. One, let's start here. Today's ACC Media Day. It's going on as we're, um, as we're talking, and uh, Rick Pitino is not there. He uh, announced late last week that he was going to skip it because he didn't want to be a distraction, which, in my opinion... Uh, created another distraction like he'd have been a less of a distraction by going to ACC media day than by announcing that he wasn't going to ACC media day because that led to a round of criticism last week and now he's you know still people on Twitter popping off the day about where's Rick Pitino where's Rick Pitino Sam is it clear that he or either his superiors uh misevaluated the impact or negative impact of of him making that announcement uh uh, is it clear that they misevaluated that, or or is it sensible for him to not be there today? No, they definitely misevaluated it. Uh, y- you can't send 
three uh, players there, especially two that, you know, literally have nothing to do with this. They just got here this year uh, in Trey Lewis and Damian Lee. Uh, You can't send those guys to deal with all of this mess that has been created at Louisville. Uh, I, I definitely think that they misevaluated what the situation would be. Uh, it, it does seem like Rick Tino, uh kind of abandoned his players, and I understand the reason for it, but y- you can't just send those guys there and expect there to be no repercussion, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know what they were thinking exactly, to be honest. He's got to be there, right, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's got to be there, uh, without a doubt. This was kind of a staggering decision although okay i guess you could technically defend lucy i do believe this wasn't patino's choice because i think patino can't help himself so here's how here's how it plays out this this whole thing happens the school asks patino not to talk patino even tells a few reporters listen i can't talk still can't help himself still sends texts has phone conversations (laughs) which are then relayed over mainstream media obviously okay and powers that be at louisville we're probably like we cannot send Rick. He he because listen of, of all the coaches out there that really he is at the top of the list in terms of just he'll just talk he'll just keep going he just can't help himself and they took the decision out of his hands so people want to kill Patino for it. There's some validity to that, but more than anything, this was not his call. They and and also I made this point on radio last week. It's not like, in my opinion, listen, I think uh, Trey Lewis has said that Patino told the team this is his best team in 40 years, which is just absolutely outlandish and ridiculous and <laughs> such a Patino statement, which is part yeah. of why they didn't I'm send ha- him. I'm going to go with 96 Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, so there's that. But if he's going to – listen, if he's going to continue just to, to speak out on this, you can't even – feign any sort of interest in the Louisville basketball team this season because in my opinion it's a borderline NCAA tournament team whereas with Roy Williams by the way spoke last year speaking this year in the midst of an intense investigation that could honestly dwarf what we're seeing with Louisville uh, in the end uh, in the big picture at least Carolina is seen as a national championship contender and there's actual basketball things to discuss there and with Syracuse last year and Jim Beheim and and what he was going through and he's in you know GP you were there and, yep. and, and you dealt with that with Louisville I think part of the thinking not sending Patino was like it's not even like we have recognizable players I mean Damian Lee is awesome but nobody knows who he was he was amazing at Drexel he's a transfer I think he's going to be so good this year no one has any idea who Damian Lee is or, or his, why his story might be interesting or why Louisville might be interesting so basically they knew that if Patino went and did this, it would just be nothing but the investigation and Patino not being able to say anything and then maybe slipping up and, and saying one or two things that they'd rather he not say publicly on the record. So I get why they did it. You still kind of should have had to send him. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, they've done this and they've created, you know, a lot of blowback and rightful blowback because what happened here, and then I'll shut up and let you guys get to it, is this happens and uh, you have even louder calls and more calls from a lot of people inside the sport saying, you know, if this is what it's gotten to, if Patino cannot go to ACC media day and won't speak, then why is he even the coach? You know, why is a guy who's written uh, all these books on how to lead and do all this stuff? Why is he even still there while this is happening? And there's reasonable um, responses to why that is the case. But the fact is, you know, this is not getting easier by the week for Patino or Louisville as much as they would like it to. And that's even more emphasized by the fact that, you know, Katina Powell has, you know, gone on national television and and the View, by the way, and this is a, this is a television show watched by housewives and and people at home like myself and Sam and GP. Who I, I mean, certainly did I, not listen. Watch I know that. Sam is huge on the View and, and DVRing <laughs> it, but it's just so this the problem in the story has been exacerbated even more so, and it's been uh, just an infamous October for Louisville. I, I would say Katina Powell going on the View is a top five worst moment in television history. <laughs> okay. It's possible. It, um, listen, I, I, I get if you're one of Rick's superiors why you might think it's a bad idea for Rick to go to ACC Media Day. Um, but I, whatever reservations you have about that, it's got to be trumped by we can't be the school that doesn't send our head coach to Media Day. Um, you know, I was there last year at ACC Media Day. Bayheim was... 
um, less than a week from going in front of uh, the Committee on Infractions. Uh, Roy, the academic scandal at Carolina had, I don't even remember exactly what, it hit, hit a new something. Maybe it was Rashad McCants had started talking, but there was like a new something yeah. connect, that had brought it back into uh, the headlines. And um, they were both there. And Beheim was uncooperative. He like was trying to be cute and funny and dismissive, which is like I guess that's what he like he's been doing that for forty years I guess. But he was he um he wasn't cute. He wasn't funny. He was completely dismissive. But at least he was there. I'll give him credit for that. He was there. Um, Roy, I thought handled it about as well as you can because he didn't shy away from anything, and that's where I I sort of. The explanation of I can't talk about this stuff um, falls a little flat with me because I know the NCAA encourages people not to talk, but they can't tell you not to talk. They, they and like they encourage because I watched Roy Williams sit there for an hour and a half last year, and he talked, and he wouldn't stop talking, and he he you can you can call bullshit on it if you want to about some of the stuff Roy was saying. And let me be clear. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying I understand how somebody might, but at least he was there and he was passionate and he was pleading and he was, um, uh, he seemed like somebody who wanted the questions because he just wanted the talk. And, um, I do believe that it was probably Rick superiors that, you know, that, that made this choice because Rick's the type of guy who like, he's such a good talker that, he wants to talk because he feels like he can hopefully explain this to you that, that he really genuinely did not know that this was going on. So I don't think Rick would back out of this on his own, but somebody at the school or some attorney somewhere messed up here because to me, you send them, you take your medicine and, and, and you be done with it. Um, you know, whatever he said today, <clears throat> it wasn't going to be any bigger of a story than all day last Tuesday when Katina Powell okay. was on television for, for like 16 straight hours. So it wasn't going to be worse. You know, this Wednesday wasn't going to be worse than last Tuesday, no matter what. And and uh, so that that's, you know, put me in charge. That's what we're doing. Rick, you're going. The kids are going. Let's just get through it. Let's just do the best we can. Be careful. Don't say, don't get crazy. But like, you know, he's a 60 something year old educated man. Like, you know, he, sh he should be able to handle himself. Um, that, that should be, should have been option one. Option two, and I don't think this is, should really have been an option, but if you say absolutely no way we're sending Rick Patino, uh, 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 then option two is we don't send anybody. Like we're just going to pass on media day altogether. Uh, the worst thing you could have done, I think, is what they actually did to send the players who obviously had nothing to do with any of this. Nobody suggested otherwise. They haven't even been there that long. Um, to send them to sit there and, and, and have to represent the University of Louisville, um, you know, the, 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 the school that is the centerpiece of a huge uh, NCAA scandal, but also just sort of like sports scandal in general. To make them go sit there and represent that school right now, I don't, I, I don't, I can't sign off on that. That was a bad call. Yeah, and you know, maybe that was part of their idea. Just like it was a very misguided idea. Don't get me wrong, but maybe it was part of their idea that, uh, you know, we send these two kids who have no connection at all with the story, and maybe it'll be minimized by the fact that they can't really answer any questions about it because they don't know. They just flat out don't know. But it doesn't read that way uh, whenever you're looking at it in the grand picture. So it's it's just a poor decision on their behalf. Uh, they really should have just punted on media day, like uh, Gary said, if they were going to not send Rick Pitino. Rick and, Rick and Louisville have taken more shots for not going than they would have for anything Rick could have possibly said today. And I think once you look at it from that perspective, somebody messed up. Yeah, I think that's that's clear. You you couldn't. I mean, barring Rick just saying something, which is possible. I mean, you know, but just really, but like here's the thing. He's talked about it for like forty know, yeah. hours already. He if yeah, if he was going to say anything crazy, it would already happen. Very very much so. Um, and the other facet is this. So Katina Powell has all this information, all these financial documents, all the stuff she kept over the course of four years in case this day came. She went on The View last week. I actually watched it and wrote a story about it. And in that, listen, the big part of that interview on The View uh, was that she went to the, she says she went to the NCAA first, gave the NCAA all this information, 
and that she, basically the NCAA was not responsive into what she was saying. Now, uh, let's, you know, the nuance of this is, is rather simple. It is very possible that Katina Powell made one phone call to an NCAA number that didn't quite get her to the people she might have been trying to talk to, and then she just simply ditched that idea and went to the book stuff. Because she claimed she went to the NCAA, they didn't do anything. She started, quote, Googling book publishers to get this thing turned around. And now she fully admits this is completely about the money. And, you know, credit for being completely honest. I mean, she said it plain as day twice on that interview. I'm doing this for the money, and I'm sure she's made plenty of it. But she also has all the information that would be most critical to the NCAA to get this case uh, moving along in the fastest manner possible and to be done at, in the most complete manner possible It is what Katina Powell has, the evidence that she claims to have that has been investigated by Outside the Lines, uh, for one. She's not necessarily going to give that stuff to the NCAA. She's not going to talk to the NCAA, according to her attorney who went on the radio on Tuesday in Louisville, because she wants criminal immunity, because there is a facet of prostitution obviously being illegal, okay? And some of this stuff is... Um, they, they can't prosecute her because there's a, a statute of limitations of one year in, in certain things. But if minors are involved, then it's a, it's a longer period of time with the statute of limitations. Two of those people being her daughters, who she claims were of age at the time. But this is a little murky and mucky right now because she is requesting that she, if she's going to talk to the NCAA, they can't throw her behind bars for any sort of well, criminal prosecutions. Yeah. That's a you know that's a very problematic thing, and there's no guarantee that that's coming. So if that doesn't come, she's not going to talk. And so is that a benefit to Louisville? That's my question. Of to you course, guys. it is. Um, uh, but but, yeah, but it also doesn't make much sense. To, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't make much sense to me. Like the uh, you can't be prosecuted for talking. Like like what she says to the NCAA isn't necessarily the same thing as talking to the cops. And the, you know the NCAA doesn't isn't going to let you know an, a, a criminal investigator into their interview. So like. It seems like a little bit of a cop out to me. Uh, keep it while while recognizing perhaps I'm missing something here. I mean, is the is the attorney maybe worried that uh, the state of Kentucky could subpoena NCAA officials that I she speaks to? Yeah, listen. I would I'm, guess that's it. I'm no expert in this stuff. One, there are four concurrent investigations going on with Louisville from the NCAA internally, Louisville, uh, and actual law enforcement. So. I think that is that is the center of it. I, I get that. Power but to, that might happen. But yes. to that point, she's already written all this stuff in a book and said multiple times on television that everything in the book's one hundred percent true. I know, so, but yeah. I, th I know, and I think, and I, you know, I don't want to float into an area where sure. I'm not a matter of expertise. But there's a difference between that and then her actually sitting under oath or whatever and and repeating the same information. I think there's just that's. But there is no know. oath. I think, geez, yeah, <laughs> I think that's, legally, that's... legally, that's why it's it's different situation. But uh, listen, that's. That's just the big – every freaking day with this case, it seems right. like there's just another thing. So Powell probably not talking to the NCAA is the next huge thing, and it's, that's probably not going to happen. So what's gonna, what does that mean? Well, it probably means this case gets delayed even further. And, yes, it, ideally you would think it would be a good thing for Louisville because, as we said last week, we can't see how McGee would possibly want to – talk with the NCAA either. He's no longer even employed by yeah. UMKC. No chance he's talking to the NCAA. That's done. And so, uh, listen, let me answer your question that you asked. Um, of course, it's a great thing for Louisville that Katina Powell's not going to talk to the NCAA. Um, but, and, and I can't imagine any scenario where Andre McGee uh, talks to the NCAA. That, like he's, there's no point in him doing that now. So the, the two primary people in charge of you know, uh, passing money back and forth, um, presumably aren't going to speak to the NCAA. That makes it a, a more, much more difficult case um, to make. Um, that said, we know Antonio Blayton's talked to the NCAA. We know Jaquan Lyles talked to the NCAA. And um, knowing how this stuff works, I just, I can't believe, if you believe what's been written about them is true, and I do, I can't believe that they would lie to the NCAA about it because they have no motivation to do it. They have all the motivation to tell the truth because lying could get them ruled permanently ineligible. And so um, at the very least, um, I'm assuming the NCAA is going to have stories from current NCAA student athletes that, that talk about improper stuff that happened on recruiting visits like that to me that's the bare minimum and so yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is Katina Powell not talking to the NCAA 
is good for Louisville if she doesn't, but it's not going to make this go away. This isn't going away. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I basically think that's right. I think as far as, you know, talking to the NCAA versus talking and confirming all of this stuff on national television, I think what you're talking about here is that the NCAA is obviously going to be asking more pointed questions. Uh, you, you know what they're going to be asking, but you don't know the way that you're going to be asked the questions, uh, which you can only prepare Katina Powell so much for what she's going to be able to say uh, in that meeting. And I think they'd be worried about her maybe catching herself uh, within what I don't want to say a lie necessarily, but uh, within a possible contradiction of that. And, you know, whenever you're going on The View and you're going on, uh, you know, ESPN probably would ask a little bit more of a pointed question, but whenever you're going on The View and other uh, talk shows like that, they're not really going to be asking you this tough stuff. So I would guess that's kind of where uh, the criminal uh, immunity part would come in because they're a little bit worried about, you know, what if she says something you know, that's more of a problem there because I do think the stakes are higher there and I think it'll be a little bit more difficult for her to get around that. So that's why I would guess she's not talking to the NCAA. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't... It, it's a good thing for sure that she's not going to talk to the NCAA if she doesn't get immunity and it's a great thing, that, uh, great thing for Louisville. But like you said, Gary, I, I just don't see how, uh, you know, they get off with a, even a... Like small band, nah. it's going to be big time. I think I think they're going to be punished uh, severely. Let's move on to other NCAA issues. Um, I reported earlier this week that uh, the NCAA is investigating Pacific uh, for um, allegations of academic misconduct, and I recognize um, people don't care about Pacific. Most people don't even know what league it's in. It's in the West Coast Conference, by the way. That's Gonzaga's league. Yeah, uh, funny story, by the way. I was at West Coast Conference Media Day the day that you reported this. You should. Should have told me to get Ron Verlin's comment on office. <laughs> I wish I would have, really. I, uh, I've been working on that for more than a month. Um, you know, I reported a long time ago that Joe Ford, the former assistant, was being investigated for, like, inappropriate behavior. And th- I, I don't want to say that investigation led to this investigation, but that in- – but, like, there's a lot of stuff connected to this guy, right? And it's unclear how high it will go. Like, you know, it does look a little weird. I'll just say weird. Um you know, Ron Verlin is the coach at, at Pacific. His brother is the head coach at Idaho, okay? So Joe Ford resigns from Pacific. Now, keep in mind, he went to school at Pacific. Why would you leave your alma mater? You know, to, just to, you know, why would you leave your alma mater? I'll just leave it at that for a comparable job. He's like a fairly big deal at his alma mater, too. Like, he was West Coast Conference Defense Player of the Year, I think. Like, he... He's like one of their better players. Right. So, okay. So why would you leave your alma mater for a comparable job? Beyond this, we now know he had to leave his job for, for reasons that they were looking into things, right? It was, it was, it was a forced resignation. Um, you know, and, and I don't know any necessarily forced by the school, perhaps just like Ron Verlin saying, Hey, we got to get you out of here. Like, you know, there's some stuff, like there's some stuff that's gone down and people are looking at it and whatever. But how does he land at your brother's school? Like, okay, like, what, how does that happen? Because, like, let's say my, I coached at a school and my brother coached at another school and uh, one of my assistants resigned and my brother was, th- like, thinking about hiring him. I would say, uh, yo, you don't want to get involved in this. Why do you think I just had to get, why do you think the guy ain't here anymore? Like, you can't, so why, why, why does he end up at Idaho? You know, like, to me, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, the most sensible reason is, like, Joe Ford could blow up a whole bunch of people. And so it was like, hey, you, you can't be here anymore. We'll get you a job somewhere else. Just keep your mouth shut and whatever. And uh, that—I mean—that's what it looks like to me, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah. otherwise, it makes no sense. So, like, if you believe that that is at least a possible scenario that the coach at Pacific set him up with his brother at Idaho, and by the way, he subsequently resigned at Idaho because of all this stuff. If you believe that that's a, a possible scenario then it suggests that this this scandal could go pretty pretty high up and could cost a lot of people their jobs. We will see. That's not the point. Because I recognize uh, we, we've just mentioned a whole bunch of names that even people who listen to college basketball podcasts have never heard of. My point is this. The allegations, and there are a lot of allegations. I've got, just know I've got way more than I've written. Um, but the allegation, one of the allegations is that he was doing online coursework for, for student athletes, helping them um, remain eligible. And that's obviously what went down at SMU. 
um, I was talking to a basketball coach, I guess, late last week, even before I, uh, I wrote this story earlier this week. And I told this basketball coach, like, um, it's a hit basketball coach somewhere. And I told him, hey, I'm working on this, and here's what I'm hearing. And the guy said, these online classes are a problem. He said, because, um, mm-hmm. like, they're easy to cheat on. Like, it, it's like you have all sorts of incentives to just cheat. And he said, we got a transfer from a, a high major school, like a top 20 program in America, this coach said. He said, we got a transfer from the school. And he came here, and he's a good kid. And, and you know, we got his class schedule ready. And, um, you know, we told him, hey, you got an 830 class on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, or, or, or Monday, Wednesdays, or whatever it was. And the kid looked at him like he was crazy. He said, what do you mean I got an 8.30 class? He's like, well, you have an 8.30, like, you know, English class. He's like, what, like 8.30, like, like I've got to go to a class, like a class class? And they're like, yeah, it's like a class class. What are you talking about? He was like, I don't, we don't go to classes at my other school. We just do all, all online coursework. Like, we don't go to 8.30 in the morning? You want me to get up and go to, a, like, a building? You crazy. To be fair, that would have been my reaction in college. I know, right? I know. It's obviously changed a whole lot since I was in college. Um, but like my my wife graduated from from Ole Miss, and I I don't believe she spent much time in a classroom her entire senior year. Like this is sort of the way to, uh, the way the world is now. And I, I get it, or at least I get the idea behind that. It. It's um, you have to have less brick buildings and, uh, and and fewer professors, and it's it's a way to generate more revenue without adding expenses. I, I guess that would be the idea behind it. But like, um, I, I guess my point is these online classes are like basically laying out, um, you know, a, an invitation to like commit academic fraud. And and I think this goes on a lot more than we probably realize. Yeah. I mean, as someone who graduated college, what, three years ago, I guess. God, I wish I graduated uh, college three years ago. Um, and, uh, no, in my master's program, I didn't really have any uh, online classes. But in undergrad, oh, in, my, in my master's program, well, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to think like <laughs> what, like what experience I have with them. Uh, online classes, I would say I took two of them in undergrad. Uh, they would be rather easy to cheat in. Yeah. They're as easy to cheat in as what you're uh, saying. I would say, yeah, uh, like yeah, and I, I don't mean it's always an assistant. I don't mean it's always but, an assistant coach. Like, do, like the allegations yeah. here are that the assistant coach would like email a uh, you know a kid and say, "Hey, here's your paper. Turn it in to this professor tomorrow. Email it to this professor tomorrow." Right? Like, it, like that kind of cheating. I don't mean that. I don't mean to suggest that assistant coach is always involved, but they have these academic athletic services set up at like every big time school, and um, like there are just tutors in there who. And, and you know, put it put it this way: there, yeah. you do these online quizzes sometimes, like every week, to make sure that you're like retaining the information. If I was taking a math class, like it would have been extraordinarily easy for me to go to my roommate, who was like an honors accounting major and a math minor, right, right. and say, "Hey, can you do these for me?" Right, right. Like it, it would have taken zero effort at all, and uh, that would have been, you know, maybe 20% of the class. Right. And I would, I'm like a hundred percent. Yeah. So and like, and like, that's yeah. what you're talking about. Right. right. And so it's just like, I, I guess this is like a, a, a conversation that leads nowhere. I'm not tr- like, there is no solution to it like, because this isn't just a, an athletics problem. It's a, it, to the extent that it's a problem, it's a problem, you know, throughout higher education. Like if my wife wanted to cheat her way through her senior year at Ole Miss, I, I assume it wouldn't have been hard to do. Um, but like, uh, you know, it, it it is something. You know, it it is something that's happening. And and I guess the point I'm trying to make is my understanding is that it's probably a lot more common than than the casual uh, college sports fan uh, realizes. Caleb Swanigan is uh, is uh, still not cleared by the NCAA. We found out earlier this week, and this has created like a a firestorm for the NCAA. I think most people understand. Uh, what Chick Diallo's doing, dealing with at Kansas, what uh, Scal Labissiere was dealing with at Kentucky. Uh, the Swanigan thing seems to to be a little uh, more difficult to understand because he has a, a troubled past, uh, or I don't want to mean to say troubled, a difficult past, and uh, he was basically adopted or whatever. Uh, by a man who happens to be an agent when he was young, and and now he's turned into a top twenty recruit, and I guess that raises some uh, eyebrows somewhere. 
But at the time this 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 man took Caleb in, he was not a top 20 recruit. He wasn't anything except an overweight eighth grader. And so um, people are killing the NCAA um, for not clearing Caleb yet, which isn't surprising. But, like, doesn't it have to be a little more complicated than that? My history with NCAA cases is that when something on the surface, like, doesn't make any sense, like, you go, what is the NCAA doing? Are they idiots? Like, this doesn't make any sense. There's typically more to it than than people probably realize. I, I'm just, I, I guess that's why I haven't, like, blasted the NCAA on Twitter the way basically everybody else in college basketball has, because I, uh, I, 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 I guarantee you, there's more. There's more to it than what people probably realize. Is that? I mean, that, that's that's reasonable point of view, right? Yeah. So here's my thing on that. I would say that, you know, it it's not a problem for me that there's this kid who was overweight who wasn't really anything. Whenever uh, Roosevelt Barnes took him in, uh, it's it's fine that he uh, became this top twenty recruit and then committed to the Guardians. Uh, alma mater, because Roosevelt Barnes is a former football player at Purdue. Sure. Um, I think that's fine. What the NCAA is probably looking into is how he first committed to Michigan State and then decommitted rather quickly and then ended up at Purdue rather quickly. Um, and I think that that's something probably worth looking into. Where I kill the NCAA on this is I understand that Caleb Swanigan was the last elite recruit to commit. But it's still not really an excuse to me that you don't have this taken care of already. You need to expedite these things and get them done quicker than like two weeks before the season. I mean, it, it's I understand there are a lot of moving pieces and you have a lot of ongoing investigations and that there's a lot of there's just a lot going on for the NCAA. But we have to find a way to get all of this stuff taken care of earlier so that we at least know what's going on with these kids. Like Shek Diallo, they still don't know uh, if his classes from Mali or whatever should count. And, you know, you would think that's kind of a yes or no thing. So it's, I don't know. I, a, I guess to that I, I, I wish would, that it would go quicker. I, to, wish, I think it, that they need to work on getting these cases done in a more expedient manner. I agree. Um, I guess I would say this. Typically, when I've talked to people who work with the NCAA about these types of things, like why... Why is this taking so long? Like, that's the obvious question, right? Whether it's with uh, Diallo or, or, or Swanigan or, in years past, anybody. Um, what they will tell Angela Russell was last year. Yeah, okay. What they will tell you, typically, is that it, it's, it's almost always the, student, the, the fault of the student-athlete or the people in charge of the student-athlete. In other words, if you remember, Renardo Sidney took forever, right, when he was trying to get cleared at Mississippi State, and it just dragged on and on. Season starts, people, and, and they're like, we still haven't heard, you know, we don't know yet. We're waiting. And if you would have talked to somebody from the NCAA about that, they would say, to, like, well, we, we want to continue. Like, the, 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 But Renardo Sidney's father is holding up the investigation. It, it's something like this. It would be like, um, hey, we need the past four years of uh, your uh, statements from your checking account, everyone. We need copy. Well, I don't. Well, I don't have those. Well, you can get them from your bank. It's not hard to do. Um, well, you don't have any right to ask me for that. Okay. Well, then we'll just sit here. Like you know, it's fine. You don't have to give them to us, but we don't have to go any further. So we'll just be sitting here waiting. And then, of course, a month later, they're like, "Okay, uh, we'll get that for you." And it just sort of slows the whole process, which is why I think Kentucky has fewer problems um, than than some of these other schools. One of the things Kentucky has realized, because they've gone through it over and over and over again, is that you can't argue with the NCAA. You can't try to like uh, play chicken with them and say you, you know, NCAA says we need credit card statements for the past five years. Um, we need your, we need your, your, your aunt's credit card statements for the past three years. You can't sit there and go, well, you don't have any right. Okay, fine. Like, okay, you don't have to give it to us, but we, we're, we're hitting pause. And as soon as you get us the information we're requesting, then we'll continue. What Kentucky has done, the compliance department, which I think is genius, they just decided a long time ago, 
um, or at least since John Calipari got there, we're not arguing with the NCAA. Would it cooperate? Whatever they ask for, give it to them. And if it's, it, it, it's almost never too bad where you can't get eligible. Like you might miss two games, you might miss nine games. But it's almost never going to be so bad if they find what they think they're looking for where you're going to be ruled permanently ineligible. Like that just doesn't happen. So like just cooperate and get it done as quickly as possible. And I'm not saying that, that that's what's happened with Swanigan or Diallo. I honestly don't know. But I, I do know that typically when these things drag this long, uh, the people at the NCAA would tell you, hey, you know, uh, we've been waiting on documents. We've been waiting on papers for three weeks and we haven't heard back. We're stuck. This, we'd, we'd like to wrap this up too. Again, I'm not saying that's what's happened here, but I can tell you that is typically the case. There's a piece by Jason King at Bleacher Report about Swanigan. Um, that I highly recommend to just do a search, Jason King, Caleb Swanigan, Bleacher Report. He wrote a profile on the kid's background and, you know, w- what he once was in terms of weight and, and his childhood and how he just completely transformed his life and, you know, the rough background, all that stuff. And uh, it's it's just a really, really, a really good read. And when you read that and then you see that Swanigan still isn't cleared, it's easy to to try and connect two dots together, but yeah, they're you know, the fact of the matter is sometimes these investigations just they have more details than will be the public might realize, or more nuance than the public might realize. I'm with Sam; they need to be faster on this, but we also need to acknowledge the fact that it's not just Division One men's basketball players at high profile programs. It's the NCAA dealing with this literally dozens if not hundreds every single year at every single level in every single sport there are cases where players might be eligible or ineligible and all those cases are are taken upon so it's it's just it's a lot of overhead and i don't think that they necessarily have the staff whatsoever to be taking this on at the level they should be so that also is a logistical reason why sometimes these cases can just go on and on and on not that it's right but i think that's yeah i i think if there's an argument against the ncaa the argument would be you have a bazillion dollars. Hire more people. Yes, you know, like, and they are yeah. they are admittedly. I don't know why they're short staffed, but they they especially when it comes to their enforcement stuff too. I mean, that's they don't have nearly enough people. Okay, before we get out of here, the uh, Ken Palm preseason rankings came out. In Orlando, I know you're a big fan of these. Uh, don't act like you're not. I, I I'm a big I'm a big fan of Ken Palm. That's right. I'm a big fan of that website. I look at it daily. I use it often. Um, I don't know that I'm a big fan of the preseason rankings. I find them interesting, but I also they're they're um, admittedly flawed, right? Yeah, they are. Okay, yeah. so let's. When you say you're not a fan of preseason rankings, just mean Ken Palm in general, because you have said on the record. I'm a big fan of my own preseason rankings. Well, that and, but also, and I think Palm has actually done uh, uh, research and writing on this as well. The the AP is amazingly season, accurate, which has not been re- exactly, which has not been released yet. It should be out, I believe, by the time we do the podcast next week. I might be wrong. Could be just a little bit after that, but. Yeah, historically, it's kind of crazy when you look at a preseason top 25 poll and then you go and see what happened at the end of the year. It's it's very much uh, an accurate barometer, forecast, atlas, whatever you want to say. Um, it's kind of crazy how that works out. But yeah, Pomeroy's rankings came out, and I will uh, call him out for clearly just copying off Sam and I. We did our 1-351. to 351. Oh, yeah. Check it out on the site. But we've got these identical final four teams, Savannah State, Mississippi Valley State, Florida A&M, and Grambling State. Pomeroy, how dare you cheat off us like this? But um, the big thing here, the big thing here was uh, he has Carolina at number seven to start the season, and people kind of flipped over that. Maryland fans really flipped out over the fact that he has Maryland 24th, and elsewhere you won't see Maryland outside of top five in pretty much any poll. But the reason for that is he doesn't take into account transfers before the start of a season. So Robert Carter, who is going to be the best player in the sport this year, according to Parrish, and Rashid Suleiman, uh, Duke transfer, who I think will be really, really good. They aren't factoring in yet. What I would say to this, to any Maryland fans who have lit up Pomeroy's mentions or just kind of just needlessly gotten angry over this, is give it a couple of weeks and Maryland will surely be a top 10 team. This was also a group last season that I, I thought was undervalued in his rankings but they were undervalued to a point because they were so good in close games and statistics and laws of averages you know indicate that that has a way of balancing out eventually so that's why they were well like to flip uh, out about maryland being at 24 isn't that to like 
acknowledge you don't even know what he's what Ken's doing. Like I, I, a certain I, degree. Yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I, I don't know why he doesn't include transfers. I'm confident he has a great reason. Um, I'm sure he's thought about it and like decided this is the way to do it. So like whatever. But like, don't you look at Maryland go 24 and go yeah, but they don't take into account Robert Carter and Rashid Suleiman. So like whatever. Like why would you flip out about that? <laughs> and also, he does not buy into highly ranked freshmen to the same degree that a lot of people do because he wants to just yeah. see players prove it. Like he takes freshmen into Although account. Then again, he has Duke number one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, because also because the because the formula and the algorithm in the preseason relies heavily on the previous year, two years, three years, and Duke yeah. has obviously been as consistent as it gets when it comes to that. Duke and Kentucky, uh, shocker, shocker. Look at who's you know at the top of the poll and his thing. It's Duke, then Kentucky, then Virginia, then Kansas, then Villanova, who's been pretty good for a couple of years. So it is pretty interesting. Uh, one other note here. Um, I just I was curious when it came when the rankings came out because you know Sam and I just labored over this one to three fifty one so I wanted to know which teams were the greatest difference so I told uh, Tim Danner and Brian Otsky two Twitter followers uh, another guy named Basketball Fan sixty six I was like give me the teams that are most different so Palm has Bama at seventy seven we've got them at one forty seven. I think 77 is so high. I don't think Bama is going to be good whatsoever this year. Yeah, I don't We've feel got that Akron bad about that. At, We've got Akron at 133. He's got him at 75. Like Alabama wasn't even 77 last year, were they? No, and they got a new coach. I mean, they might have been. I don't know. But they weren't good. They weren't good. That's why they have a new um, coach. We, we're super high in Old Dominion at 53. He's got him at 102. Um, other ones, you know, Princeton, there's a pretty big gap. Uh, yeah, that was the one he pointed out to us on Twitter that he thought. Yeah, uh, we were too low on. Was yeah, he's got Princeton at 81, and we've got him at 143. A couple more, just quick ones, real quick. Um, Texas Tech, pretty decent disparity. Uh, we've got him at 147. He's got him at 93. We've got Clemson at 98. He's got him at 56. I don't think highly of Clemson whatsoever. Um, he's got Creighton at 86, which I kind of am on, but Sam is down on Creighton. We put him at 127. Yeah, that's probably my, that's my fault. We're probably a little too low on Creighton. And, but he's got Seton Hall. I was I was surprised by by how high. To me, I, I'm not big on Seton Hall. He's got him at 83. Um, so I don't know. It's I think in, that's it's about in, right. Maybe it's intriguing to see because let's face it though, between the coaches poll, the AP poll, and the Pomeroy poll, those are the three metrics that I think a lot of people base all their incoming things on. Well, obviously, and, and ours. Well, well our, no, it all ours just, in April basically no, sets the stage. No, that is a hundred percent the point I was making. Like, I'm not trying to say I shape the AP poll, uh, but I do think the poll attacks ch- shape the AP poll some during the season sometimes. But the best example being last year when TCU got ranked, <laughs> and I I just wrote in the poll attacks how ridiculous it was, and then TCU went out and won two more games, remained undefeated, and they were unranked the next week. It was like I like I I re- like who else? told people you're stupid for ranking TCU. So I do think the politics have an effect there. I think whether it's us, ESPN, SI, anybody that does rankings like, you know, the night of the championship game and then updates them throughout the season, those undeniably shape the top 25 of the magazines, uh, which which collectively shapes the top 25 of the AP poll. Like, I, I really do think we all have a, a hand in shaping those. You're not going to see... When that AP poll is published, it'd be much different than than what we have or ESPN yeah. has or what the coaches poll has. And to your point that you made earlier, Matt, about the preseason polls, every once in a while you'll run into um, you know some fans who want to remind you that the polls don't mean anything. They, they, like, it's amazing how many how much how anxious people are to remind you that that happens in football. Well, so, listen, yeah, holy listen, crap. let you finish your shot, but real quick. So I I've actually been outspoken on this on the podcast before. To me, I just. Like fans will get so caught up in a mid-January poll where their team is 19 and they should be 11. I'm like, that's just wasted energy to me. That's where I come from it in regard to that. That's all. Yeah, I just I, like I, it's to me. It's one of those things that's understood. Like uh, the the poll. Hey, Parish, the polls don't decide anything. Thank you. I I, <laughs> I understand. I like I am a 38 year old man. I understand yeah. that the polls don't decide anything. I I do I do argue intensely that the polls do matter. If no, for no other reason, they get if you're in the top 25, they get your uh, they get your scores on the scroll. They get you on the go to the CBS Sports right. app. You hit for the you hit this top 25 scores. You're on there. Uh, you know if you're not in the top 25, 
people won't even there there if you're in the top 25 some people will know you played and know whether you won or lost that otherwise wouldn't have even know you were on a court uh on any yeah. on any given day so don't tell me like it doesn't matter that you're not in the top 25 i reject that uh and on a variety of levels but um but but i get it the polls don't decide anything but the point i was making is that um it's it's kind of silly to be dismissive of preseason polls because they are remarkably accurate, at least at the top. Um, uh, Ken Ken Pomeroy has 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 researched all of this. Basically, um, each and every year, the teams that are supposed to be good are are good. The teams that are supposed to be really good are really good. That that is the you know last year. Look at it: Wisconsin, Kentucky, like the, you know the, the, like the teams that we get surprises. Of Occasionally, course. like outliers are inevitable. You'll have one or two teams that float into the top twenty that people wouldn't have thought were top thirty good, and then you. Might oh no, have... it's more than that. But like, you, you'll, yeah, you'll but... have one or two float in the top ten that weren't supposed to be top ten, and and maybe three or four drop out of the top twenty five that were supposed to be top ten. But typically, you look at the preseason poll, you look at the postseason poll. And you go, oh yeah, that 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 team was supposed to be great, and they were. That team was supposed to be great, and they were. The football poll right now is a great example of this. Preseason top five: Ohio State, TCU, Alabama, Baylor, Michigan State. Right now, the top five: Ohio State, Baylor, Clemson, LSU, TCU, Michigan State six, Alabama seven. So the top five in the preseason football poll are still in the top seven of the AP poll right now. Preseason polls are good. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, true. It's and then so you got funny. those Memphis Tigers, those Memphis Tigers scooching Dude, up too. That, are they ever going to lose another football game? They're never going <laughs> to so lose they, another they football still game. Have, they still have Temple and uh, Houston left, right? They at at Temple and at Houston. Like oh, that's, that's not going to be fun. No, listen, I don't think they're going to go undefeated. But if they do go undefeated, um, oh my gosh, they'll have. I don't. What would be the comparison in like? It'd be like you can't undefeated isn't fair in college basketball. There's so many more games. But I guess it, it, it would be like. Central Florida getting a number two seed. No, way more than that. It'd be like really. Two, it'd be like uh, yeah. East Carolina getting a two seed. Insane. I mean, I that might be the same thing, but like, no, it's crazy. But how about this? So Dan Walken uh, wrote about this at usatoday.com yesterday. The the committee, and I know the playoff committee in college football. This is about to turn into a college football podcast. The playoff, the selection committee. It's only been around for a couple of years. I got it. But last year, when they first released their rankings. They didn't have to take into account a non-Power 5 school that was undefeated and had a signature win. Like, one did not exist. I think Marshall was undefeated, but they had played nobody. Whereas Memphis is sitting around right now. They're going to be 8-0 after this weekend because they're 30-point favorites over Tulane. So they're going to be 8-0. They'll be 8-0 with a signature win over Ole Miss, a team that's won at Alabama and beaten Texas A&M. And their strength of schedule in the Sagarin ratings is 71st. Ohio State's is 70th. Memphis has more top 25 wins right now than Ohio State. Now, I'm not trying to tell you Memphis is better than Ohio State. I'm just saying, saying I am. I'm going to go ahead and go on record now. Memphis <laughs> is better than Ohio State. No, no. But um, just the pure, if you can erase everything you think you know about Ohio State and erase everything you think you know about Memphis and just look at the resumes, like Memphis is going to have a better resume when those rankings are updated. Yeah, you know who's loving this right now, by the way? Josh Pastner. All this attention on Memphis football? Seriously? Me? Yeah. 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 I mean, oh, oh, it really is. I mean, like, um, it, it, it is amazing for it to be October 28th. And in the city of Memphis, more people care about Memphis football than Memphis basketball. And it's not even close. Like, it's not even close. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's you crazy. know, football season will end and people will turn their gaze upon Passner and, and that team, which it could really go any which way the season. But, uh but yeah, man, listen, baseball podcast last week, college football podcast this week. We're going to hit the NHL next week. How about that? So, uh, now that might be getting into a little bit. The water could be a little deep for me there. I don't know if I can, I can talk about the uh, NHL. but this Yeah, and the Penguins suck right now. I'm not really ready to, uh, ready to get into that yet. And the NBA season just got started. I've got a dilemma. T- t- so tonight uh, at FedEx Forum, we've got the LeBron's in town. So it's the Cavs are in town, but then i got game two of the World Series too. So I think I'm going to have to go to... Grizz Cavs and watch, uh, what? watch game. Why do you have to go to Grizz Cavs? Yeah, are like, we sure that I understand you're a radio to... host in the area and all that stuff, and you're a man of influence, not just nationally when it comes to college basketball polls, but but locally when it comes to greater things in terms of local legislation and just popular opinions and all that stuff. Sure. But do you have to go to this game, or do you just simply want to go to this game? Because I'm going to call you out in your fraudulent Mets fandom if you're going to bail on that game, no. watch it on an iPad while you're at a LeBron no, I, game. I don't. Let me let me uh, let me take this carefully. I don't have to go. I don't have to do anything, right? But 
Um, I do think sometimes, like, I need, you, you need to be there, like, as much as I can, because once college basketball season starts, I'm, I'm like, not only am I not at most Grizzlies games, I'm not even in town for most Grizzlies games. And so, um, and, and yet still I have a job, you know, and uh, every, you know, Monday through Friday and host an afternoon drive show in the city of Memphis. And to not, to, to do that, to do that half-ass, uh, which sometimes you just have to, it's the nature of having multiple jobs, but um, but like I, I, I sort of made a promise to myself: when I can be there, I need to be there. Um, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Plus, the king's in town. You go see the king. Um, like and, I said, are we positive he's going to play a back to back like this this early in the year? I hope not, because I already laid Grizzlies minus six. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I hope I hope he doesn't play. No, I actually hope he does play because I, you know, anytime you get a chance to see the best player on the planet, you should. But I will. Grizz uh, minus six. Yeah, Grizz minus. Dude, Grindhouse dog. It's the grindhouse. Kyrie, plus that. No yeah. Kyrie, back-to-back, 18,000 hey, screaming at, at Zebo. I got some serious hate from Iowa State fans because I tweeted last night, Fred Hoiberg finding more success against LeBron James than he did against <laughs> UAB. How about those Bulls knocking off the Cavs to start the opening? I, I, uh, I did watch uh, a little bit of that while I, you know. I, I should have. I should have angered Iowa State fans further by retweeting you and said, saying that I found more success against LeBron than he did against Aaron Kraft. Oh, I think uh, it, 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 it is fortunate for Fred in all seriousness that he didn't have to open with UAB. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? That it would have been, been brutal. Yeah. It would have been mean, brutal. Like, imagine he, like, opens uh, at, at United Center and looks up and it's like, uh, oh, and Jared God. Jared Haas is there. There's Jared Haas. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I mean, listen, let's get down to it. Fred Hoiberg, when he looks down the sideline, he'd rather see David Blatt than Jared Haas. He and no, one's, no one's denying this. <laughs> you know what? Like, okay? that might actually be true. He'd rather no, see I think it rather is Stuart true. Watts, the president of the Alabama, uh, Alabama, I'm not, uh, I'm not. of schools, uh, then he'd rather see David or uh, President Barack Obama sitting on the sidelines. But yeah, the president was there, right? What a what a neat thing for Fred. Like his first game in the NBA, he gets to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers while the president's watching. That's a pretty neat deal, right? Yeah, it is. So, awesome. uh, yeah, so no, no. So I will be at FedEx Forum tonight. I will also be watching, uh, the, the world series. Like, you, like, uh, technology is what it is. You can do that now. <laughs> you know, you okay, can... are you at least getting set up with like some sort of box seats or are you going to be like, oh, no, I'll be, like I'll be is there a way that, yeah, I'll be course. No, no cheering on press row though, GP. That's the problem. No, you can cheer for the Mets on press row. Oh, can you? Okay. Yes. I, uh, I'll be sitting courtside. I would side. love to be, I don't know if this game is, is on nationally tonight or not. I haven't looked, but I would love for it to be on nationally. And to have my second screen up to see uh, to see Murphy go Murphy again, three run Jack, you know, top of the fifth, and then all of a sudden I look up at the Grizz game and I see GP on press row standing fist pumping in the middle. <laughs> I will be fist pumping. I, that is exactly the way this is going to go down. So uh, listen, let's get out of here because I don't know if you guys have looked at the clock. We were supposed to be on a conference call five minutes ago. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so. Um, uh, let's uh, let's go and uh, remember all of you listening. Uh, thank you for listening. Let me say it again if you missed it at the top. And uh, remember, you can subscribe uh, to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest ep- episodes. So uh, make sure to do that. And uh, either way, we're going to talk again next week. Till then, take care. <laughs>